Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. And uh, on this first Sunday of Pastor Marvin's sabbatical, appreciate James stepping into some that role as well. Yeah. I trust the applause is for James's good job, not that Pastor Marvin's not here. Um, I know you appreciate him. Uh, yeah, uh, James is absolutely 100% right. Uh, I am a hard C on the disc. And uh, that makes me very uncomfortable to be standing up here. But it, uh, but it is a privilege <clears throat> to be serving as your pastor and the pastor of Mount Hope. And Wendy and I don't take that lightly. And we are grateful to God for allowing us to do that, to you, for allowing us to speak into your lives, me to speak and open up God's word to you on a regular basis and our team to minister to you. And uh, it is a privilege and uh, we don't take that lightly. And I'm grateful for that and grateful for the, all the love and kindness always whenever I'm talking to other pastors, um, always talk about the kindness and the graciousness of Mount Hope uh, to us and to our family over the years in so many ways. So thank you again for the privilege of serving as your pastor. I do love, uh, as we were singing in worship and Ariana and Aaron were leading us today in the team, you know, we got to that because he lives. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, I love the generations that we have at Mount Hope. And there was a generation of people that as soon as they broke into Because He Lives, you were like, finally, we're worshiping. And you were like, we've got, because for you, that song of your generation was like, that was it. And when we're talking about the series, Anxious for Nothing, and that line in that song, All Fear is Gone, was like, that's what, that's what carried you through sometimes for many years. That because he lives, all this fear is gone. And some of you younger ones, you know, your, your generation is different. So when Tomlin, when they break out to Whom Shall I Fear? And that Chris Tomlin song, and you're, that, it, but it says the same thing to a different generation, to a different time. And those words, these become the soundtrack of our walk with God in many ways. And I hope you understand that when we sing songs on a Sunday morning, it's not simply because uh, we like to sing. Some of us don't like to sing. I, I see you when you show up 15 minutes late for service. Um, but, but one of the things we're doing is we are learning theology as we sing. We are singing about who God is. We are speaking to one another in the church. We are reminding ourselves of these truths of God's word. And so, um, so that's one of the aspects and one of the purposes. That's one of the reasons we keep the kids in here. Um, so they can, they can receive that as well. So uh, we're in our last se a week of this uh, series and we're jumping into this. And so let me just start by this way. September 24th. Oh, it didn't show up. Where did it go? I lost it in my text messages. I know it was September 24th. Hold on. I'm scrolling back, scrolling back. September 24th morning. I was getting ready to teach a class. Um, and as I was getting ready to teach a class out in Sturbridge to some of our uh, people in our network who are becoming pastors or getting ready to serve in ministry, I was teaching a class on Torah and Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And that starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then at 10:16 in the morning, I get a text from Wendy that says, call me as you can. We are okay. But I hit a car. And at that moment, what runs through your mind? Um, you know, of course, I'm glad she included the we are okay, uh, which is important, right? Because that's the first thing that runs through your mind. Is everybody okay? Is everyone going to be okay? 
um, you know, when someone you care about is in a car accident. Uh, but then the second thing immediately starts running through my mind, I don't know about you, is, okay, now we've got three drivers, one car, uh, what's going to happen? Now what do we do about the car? Do we need to tow the car? Do we need to move the car? Do we have to, is the car drivable? Um, do we need to buy a new car? It's a terrible market to buy a car. Have you tried to buy a car? I'm sorry if you're trying to buy a car right now. It's a terrible time to buy a car. It's a great time to sell a car if you're selling a car. But all these things start running through my mind, and I actually start to get anxious. And here we are in the middle of a sermon series, right? We're in the middle of this series, and you're living with it on Sunday mornings, but I'm living with it every week, preparing these messages and getting ready and thinking through these passages almost on a daily basis. And here I am, anxious for something, right? Not anxious for nothing. And I wonder if I'm the only one that comes to the fifth sermon in the series after four weeks together, and you're still feeling a little anxious. Anyone else? Some of, you, some of you are anxious because we're at the last week of the series. And you're like, if he doesn't fix it today, what hope is there? Like, I tried it. If God can't fix it, forget it. Like, and that might be what we're feeling at times, that, you know, we've come to this and we're like, I thought, I was hoping these five weeks were going to fix it, but I'm still feeling anxious. I'm still worried about things. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about that. I want to talk about that gap. I want to talk about the gap that exists between the type of person you want to be, maybe the person you know you should be in Jesus, but the person you know that you really are. Because I think that that gap is real. And the last thing I want you to do is walk away from this series and say, well, that's it. It didn't fix it. God didn't fix it. Because I think there's something more that we need to talk about. And this gap between being anxious and being a person that doesn't want to be anxious is really a subset of something um, that we can call a sanctification gap. I didn't come up with that term. Professor up at Gordon Conwell wrote an article in the 70s coming up with that term, sanctification gap. That this gap that exists between the type of people we are know we are supposed to be as Christians and the type of people we actually know we are. How is it that you follow Jesus and are still in a prison of worry? How can it be that you follow Jesus and you still fly off the handle with your children or at work or in traffic or at the grocery store? Why is it that you start your day reading the Bible and end it watching salacious shows on television? Why can't you stop your mind from dwelling on things that are not godly or helpful? How is it that you come to church and sing, Christ is enough, but you go home and envy your neighbor's car or lawn or house? Why do these gaps exist? What about these gaps in our lives? Because there's a real chance that you could leave this series and say, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but I know I worry about a lot of things. I think the people at Philippi felt this. We're reading the book of Philippians, so hopefully you've picked up on now that this is a letter the Apostle Paul in the first century wrote to a group of Christians living in a city called Philippi. But these young Christians, I mean, they had a front row seat to the Apostle Paul living out what it was to be a follower of Christ. I mean, just to give you one example, Acts chapter 16 gives us an account of Paul's ministry in Philippi, and here's what happens. 
He's preaching in Philippi. He's telling people about Jesus and there's a a young girl who's possessed by an evil spirit and she is interrupting all the preaching and all the ministry. And so Paul turns to her and casts the evil spirit out of her and delivers her and she's in her right mind and she's healed. And that's wonderful, except there were people that were using this little girl to make money and using her as like a circus act. And when this evil spirit was cast out of her, they could no longer make money off of her. And so they, get, they got mad at Paul and they started a, an uprising with a mob of people to come against Paul and Silas as they were doing ministry. And they actually, this mob stripped them of their clothes, beat them with rods, actually had them arrested for, for causing basically a disturbance of the peace, thrown in prison, thrown in stocks. <clears throat> and there's Paul, unjustly, thrown in prison, unreasonably beat, unlawfully taken into custody. And what would be his response? What would be your response? Screaming out, yelling, making noise, maybe discouraged and just giving up on things, maybe saying, forget it. You know, what's the point? Acts chapter 16, verse 25 tells us what Paul and Silas's response was. It says, about midnight... So you're tired, right? You just got beaten. You're in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. The story goes on to say that actually right after they were praying and singing hymns that an earthquake hit the prison, opened up all the doors, knocked their stocks off their arms and and everything else, and they were free. But instead of running out or even walking out of the prison, they stayed and shared Jesus with their jailer and their captor. And I think, how do I get to live a life like that? And maybe you think that too, because if you were in that situation, maybe you wouldn't respond the same way. And there's that gap. There's a gap between the life that I would like to live as a Christian, the gap between the life that I want to be, who I want to be in Christ, and the life I know I live, and the person I know I am. And how do we deal with that gap? How do you get there? How do you get to the place where you could be treated that way and respond by prayer and singing hymns to God? Certainly the Philippians that Paul was writing to, I think had that question. They see Paul respond like that and they go, how do you know, we don't, we don't live like that. In fact, Paul's in prison in Rome when they're writing, when he's writing this letter and they're like, poor Paul. He's like, God, you don't get it guys. How do you deal with the gap? We come to the final sermon in our series in the last verse of this passage, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And I think verse 9 that we're looking at this morning has the answer for that gap. Here's what it says. What you have learned and received, Paul writes, and heard and seen in me. Let's all say this next word together. Practice. Let's say it again. Practice these things things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Paul says you need to practice these things. This afternoon, I will go home and watch at least one football game, probably more than one. Well, watch is 
Not the way my kids would say it. They'd say I turn on the football game and fall asleep, which is probably more accurate. But I'll go home and I'll, I'll, I'll watch a football game. But next Sunday, I won't be playing in the NFL. That comes as no shock to you. But it should be equally not as shocking that because you sat through a sermon on not being anxious today, that you don't then go out and live a life of overcoming victory the following week. But I think somehow we get it into our minds that if I will sit through a sermon, that it will change my life. That if I sit in enough church services, that somehow my life will suddenly start to look like Christ. And I would say this morning, that's no more the case than me becoming an NFL player by watching a football game. Because Paul says you need to practice these things. Yeah, you heard them. You saw them. You saw me in prison worshiping. You saw the earthquake. You learned them through my preaching. You received them through the faith that is passed down. But that's not enough. You got to practice them. You got to put them into practice in your life and in my life. And contrary to Alan Iverson, famous NBA player on the most prominent best quote on practice I've ever heard. Practice is important, and it's important for us to talk about it this morning. 18th century pastor William Law in his book, A Serious and Devout Holy Life, says this. He says, if you will stop here and ask yourself why you are not as pious as the primitive Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it's neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. That's a little convicting to hear those words, to think that the reason I don't have the wife that Christ wants me to live is because I never intended to have the wife that Christ wants me to live. Now, when he says intended, don't hear want, of course, we all want to act the way a Christian ought to act. We all want not to worry. We want to be able to sing after we have been beaten. The question is not whether you want that, but whether we have intentionally organized our lives around attaining that. We all may want to play sports at a high level or have the highest GPA in the class or be great parents or love our neighbors well or be known as someone who loves our neighbors well. Want is not the question or the problem. The question is, have we intended to organize our lives around it? Do our practices move us in that direction? Is what you're practicing on a daily basis in your life moving you in the direction of the person that you know God wants you to be? So let's talk about practice for a few moments as we have these, uh, this time together. Let me give you three things about practices that are true. First this, practice will not make you perfect. Let's get this off the table right away. We're all heard practice makes perfect. It's not true. But I want to talk about it in a theological sense because I want to be clear. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I want to be clear on what I'm not saying. Whatever we're saying about practice in the next few minutes, it does not save you. Jesus saves you. 
Practice will serve you well, but it does not save you. Your effort does not accomplish your forgiveness, nor can it atone for sins that you've committed in this life. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about practice. All your good works do not counterbalance any bad things you have done. It's not the way it works with the Lord. This is not like buying carbon credits. There's no cosmic scale where you're hoping in the end that the good outweighs the bad. It never will. In fact, Paul puts it very clearly for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, when the word of God says this, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So I just want to be clear, whatever I'm about to say about practice, whatever Paul's saying about practice, whatever the Bible's saying about this practice, it is not saying that do these things so that you can be saved. Do these things so your sins can be forgiven. Do these things and God will love you. That's not what this is saying. That's not what we're talking about. But I believe what I agree with philosopher Dallas Willard when he says, while the gospel is not opposed to, while the gospel is opposed to earning, It is not opposed to effort. In other words, yeah, you don't accomplish your salvation, but God has given you the freedom to choose what you think about. God has given you the freedom to choose what you do in your body and your mind. And there are certain practices you can put in place that you can activate in your life that will help you to become more the person that God is calling you to be. But it's not just sitting listening to sermons. It's practice. So practice will not make you perfect, but the second point is also important. Practice does make permanent. And some of you have heard this, right? Some of you that have been in sports or you're a musician and you've been, you know, you've been told you got to practice, 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 right? But you've also heard this, that practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. If you're practicing the wrong thing, all you're going to do is make that permanent in you doing the wrong thing really well. I try and teach my daughter softball, but I don't know everything about softball. Her coaches know far more than I do. So I am aware that when I practice with her, I may be reinforcing bad habits. So she needs coaches to tell her, here's what your swing should look like. Here's what it should look like when you throw. Practice that. The reason some of us are really good at worrying and being anxious is because we have practiced it a lot. And we're really good at it because we practice it in our minds. And Pastor Marvin talked a little bit last week about neuroplasticity and how our minds form these channels that say, okay, this is how we think. This is how we act. This is how things work. And we just continue to wear down those paths of worry and anxiety, even though they don't get us anywhere. One of the ways neuroscientists will put it is what fires together wires together. And when we fire these thoughts, we start to create these pathways in our mind that our bodies follow, that this is the way we're going to act. Practice does not make perfect. It will not make perfect, but it does make permanent. That's the way we form habits, right? Research shows that it takes an average of 66 days for a habit to become automatic, To give you a little perspective, if you implement a habit today, it's 77 days until Christmas. 
If you didn't have enough anxiety in your life, you could have a new habit in your life by then. But it takes a while, but you're, the good news is our neural pathways are pliable in that way, and we can form new practices that will enforce things that are more the way we would want to go. Uh, one of the guys in our sermon planning meeting, Andrew, who's a leader of the Well Ministry, he said it this way. I like the way he said it. He said, the second most difficult time to start building a habit is right now. It will be more difficult tomorrow. I thought that's a good way to put it because tomorrow you'll have one more day of reinforcing bad practices if we don't change something today and start forming good practices in our life. One of the stories I read that kind of reinforces the importance of practice and how true this is is about the greatest free throw shooter in the world. You know who the greatest free throw shooter in the world is? No, you don't know his name because he's not in the NBA. His name's Bob Fisher. He's a 62-year-old soil conservation technician living in Kansas. He's never played in the NBA, but he has perfected the free throw. You know, many people for years have said, why do professional basketball players struggle so much with the free throw? It's the easiest shot to make. They're unguarded. It's the same conditions every single time. You're not outside, you're inside. The hoop is the same height. It's the same exact thing. And yet some of the, some of the most uh, greatest professional basketball players of all time are 75, 80, maybe 85% from the free throw line. Why is that? Larry Silverberg, an engineer in North Carolina, studying the free throw shot and free throw and players, he said this, he summed it up this way, average shooters are often plenty consistent, they're just consistent at the wrong things. Just reinforce bad habits over time. And Bob Fisher, who routinely sinks more than 100 shots in a row, says it's all about preparation and practice. So what in your life? How are the practices in your life? What are you reinforcing? What are you making permanent in your life? Final point about practice is this. Godly practices will bring the peace of God. And that's really what we're talking about in this series. I mean, that's really what we're after, isn't it? We want to know, how can I have peace in my life? How can I have, how can I get rid of anxiety? How can I get rid of worry? How can I live a life of peace? And so we have in here, Pastor Marvin mentioned it last week, the peaceful sandwich, we'll call it. And the peaceful sandwich in these verses looks like this. The end of uh, uh, verse seven says uh, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be with you. And then it says, as Pastor Marvin mentioned last week, think about these things. All right, so I want to do a little test. Think about these things, right? Whatever is, who's got the first word? True. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about 
these. You guys did pretty good. You guys did really good. First service did good too. So some of you spent time memorizing that. That could be the most valuable thing out of these five weeks for you. And that's not even a joke. You have the word of God hidden in your heart that God will bring that back to you at a time when you need it, that that word of God is there for you. But this peaceful sandwich, you get the peace of God when you think about those things, good and excellent and just and praiseworthy. Let me focus my mind on these things. But then he doesn't stop there. You don't think your way into peace. And that's where we need to be very clear because I think some of us will think we think our way into peace. That's not, what, that's not the Christian way of life. That may be other religions. There may be other ways that will tell you, hey, you just need to think these things and you'll find peace. Let's be clear. That is not what God is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what God's word says. Yes, think on these things, but then also practice. Put into practice what you have learned. All those things Paul preached. What you have received the faith that's been passed on to you. What you have heard, that for the Philippians was what Paul was going through in Rome. What you have seen, what they saw Paul live out right before him. For you, for me, get into God's word. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you learn? What do you receive? Put those things into practice in your life. Put those things into practice in your daily life. It's not because they worked up the, the, the fortitude in that moment that they were able to sing hymns in that prison. It's because they had been in a practice of rejoicing in the Lord all of their life, that when they're in prison, why would they not rejoice? Why would they not have peace? Because they have already put that practice in their life. What we all want is to have peace in our lives at all times, but I wanna make sure we are talking about a real peace. Paul had it when he was in prison at night. He had it when he was on a ship being destroyed in a storm. He had it when he was in a prison in Rome. He had it when he faced arrest and death. And we want a peace through all the situations we face, a real peace, not a manufactured, worked up peace. Not a veneer, not something fake, pretend, or varnished that vanishes when the cameras are turned off. Not simply positive thinking, optimistic outlook, or high energy charisma characterized by constant silver lining platitudes and ubiquitous, it could be worse, look on the bright side thinking. That's not what Paul is talking about here. We want a real peace through real trials in our lives. And Paul is saying you can have it, but it comes with practice. So I, I want to be clear here for a moment. I don't want you to settle for peace when everything in your life is going well. Anyone can have peace then. I think too often we think, just like James was talking about, once I get the checklist done, I can have peace. But you know, there's only another checklist after that checklist, right? And we think if the bills are paid and the kids are healthy and there's no major tragedies and no major transitions, well, then I can have peace. If I get everything under control and everything in order and the house is clean, well, then I can have peace. That's not the peace that Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about, when you suffer, you can have peace. 
when you are going through difficulties and trials, you can have peace. Because if you can't have peace at, that t- at those times, then what good is all this? Then why are we talking about this? Anyone can have this peace apart from God when things are going well. What Paul is offering as the peace of God, and I love Max Lucado brings this out in one of his uh, small group lessons, that importance of that preposition of. I think many of us might think it would say from. You can have a peace from God, and wouldn't that be nice in itself? But when you put the preposition of in there, it actually takes it to another level. It means you can have in your life the same peace that the God of the universe dwells in. That the same peace that the God who created it all, who's not worrying about the stock market or the interest rates or hell, he's not worrying about any of that, that you actually can have that same peace in your life. Peace of God. That you can live in that place. And that's an incredible offer that is given to us, but it takes and it comes with practice, or another word for it is discipline. Again, philosopher Dallas Willard, he defines a discipline this way. A discipline, and he means a spiritual discipline specifically, but a discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to enable us to do whatever we cannot do by direct effort. That was a mouthful, let me say it again. A discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to enable us to do whatever we cannot do by direct effort. So the classic example of this is if you're a musician or piano player, you learn to play scales, but you don't learn to play scales so that you can play scales really well. No one's showing up to a concert to listen to you play scales. Well, maybe in middle school or something. You learn to play scales so you can play Mozart. But you do that which is within your power so that one day it will allow you to do something you cannot do by your own direct effort. And similarly, when you follow Christ, you learn to give thanks every day in all circumstances so that when things are not going well, you have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness because you've cultivated that over time. You learn to bring things to the Lord in prayer when it might be small things, so when there's big things, I've already cultivated a heart that goes to God in prayer. You learn to rejoice always, sing songs of worship in your heart on a beautiful, sunny October day like today because there's gonna be a cold February snowstorm when you will need to have cultivated a heart of rejoicing. And do those things today that are within your effort so that tomorrow there will become those pathways in your life that you have practiced. So uh, some practical thoughts as we come to a kind of a close on how to do this and what this might look like. Um, So we gave you this book on the first week of this series. And I realize not everyone was here the first week. We'll order some more, and maybe we'll get some more if you didn't get one. But it's called Less Fret, More Faith. We gave you this the first week of the series. But the subtitle of it is an 11-week action plan to overcoming anxiety. So that was a little sneaky on our part, right? We told you five-week series. You'll be all set on anxiety, but we gave you an 11-week practical guide. 
Because right from the beginning, really what we were telling you was, this isn't a five-week fix. This is a practice you put in your life over time that helps you become a person that lives without worry and anxiety. And so each one, so what this has is like a couple, it's just a couple page lesson uh, where you will come to it and you will, for a week, focus on that aspect. And so if you haven't pulled that book out and kind of gotten into it, I'd encourage you to do that where you take one lesson each week for 11 weeks. It gives you scripture to focus on, and you focus on that, and you realize you have to build this into practice. Pastor Marvin last week mentioned a book called Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland, another one that I recommend by a Christian philosopher, J.P. Moreland. He has a little practice in there. He gives four um, re's, I will come. Relabel, reframe, refocus, revalue. And so he puts this practice into it. When an anxious thought comes into your mind, relabel it, reframe it, refocus yourself, and revalue what's important. And he gives scriptures for those, and he talks about how that's important and how that can help you. What I would say, what that's helping you do is do what the scriptures say, take every thought captive to Christ. Teaches you to do that. When you have an anxious thought, I'm going to relabel, reframe, refocus, and revalue. Maybe we'd add a fifth R to that because then you'll be able to rejoice um, in the Lord. William Law, let me close this final quote by him, and I'll ask our worship team to make their way up. He said, you may say that all people fall short of perfection of the gospel, and therefore you are content with your failings. What he's saying there is, look, nobody's perfect. So, what's, so I'm not perfect. What's the big deal? But this is saying nothing to the purpose. For the question is not whether gospel perfection can be fully attained, but whether you come as near it as a sincere intention and careful diligence can carry you. So what he's saying is this. Look, you may never <laughs> close the gap completely. You may never close the gap completely but that doesn't excuse you from putting into practice and efforting to live the life that God has called you to live. Like you and I will never be fully formed in the image of Christ, this side of heaven. That doesn't mean we throw up our hands and say, forget it, I'm just stuck living this way. I'm just stuck in this worry. I'm just stuck in this anxiety. No, that's not the life that Christ has called you to live. And so practically also, I'll just ask you to take out that card you got on the way in. And on the front of it, it's got that scripture with more blanks. And I hope you've taken time to memorize that. But on the back of it, it's just got a couple questions for you to think about and maybe fill in today. First, they're kind of similar questions, just said in a different way. What is one habit you can start practicing this week? What is one favor you can do for your future self? kind of new to this term future self, but I'm hearing it everywhere now. And and I've learned that I'm supposed to be walking and exercising more and my future self will thank me apparently. And I know that, but um, right now I am disappointing my future self because I am not walking and exercising as much as I should. But, uh, But it's an interesting way to think about it, right? What will I be glad that I then that I started now? What will I be thankful then that I started doing now in my life? 
And what are some, so when you think about habits, I would encourage you to think about it this way. What are some triggers that you can put in your life that'll help you to remember to start these practices? So what do you mean by, oh, it's something like, you already have some in your life. You sit down to food in front of you, and many of you have a trigger to say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for putting food in front of me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for your goodness. You get money deposited into your account and you're reminded to say, who worship the Lord and you're giving. And to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've given to me, for the way you've provided for my finances. You already have these things built into your life. Maybe when you go to bed at night, you've built in a practice to thank God and to pray. Maybe when you get up in the morning, you've already built in a practice when you get your cup of coffee to pray and think. Or, or the one I know all of you have is the one that calendar turns from Saturday to Sunday, you somehow showed up at church because you put in a practice in your life that said it's Sunday. I'm going to gather together with the people of God. A couple years ago, we learned that that actually is a practice, isn't it? Because some of us got out of practice. And for six or eight weeks, we hadn't met together. And it took a little while for all of us to get back together, you know, to think, oh, I got to get back into that practice. What other practices can you build in? Maybe you're brushing your teeth and that'll be the 90 seconds that you're giving. I don't know how long you're supposed to brush your teeth for. If it's longer than that, forgive me. I don't know. But whatever. 90 seconds feels like enough for me. Um, But whatever, however long you're brushing your teeth, maybe that'll be your time to say, I'm going to offer thanks to God during this time. Put some practice in your life. I heard one this week that really connected with me. Um... One of the guys in our church, Dennis Levitt, who was in our first service and leads our Monday night men's group here at Mount Hope. And he was saying that he's retired now, but he worked much of his life for Edison Electric. And he used to work with high voltage power. Like I get scared just touching wires in my house. But he was like dealing with, you know, wires like this, like high voltage electric. And he knew that it was dangerous, and he knew that on any day, if they were careless, that it could mean someone's life, his or one of the guys he's responsible for. So he said he developed a practice that every morning, what he would do is he would come to the gates of, of, the, of the yard where he had to get the trucks and get the equipment, and before he unlocked, or as he was unlocking those gates, he would take that moment to pray. And he would pray what you think he would pray, God, keep us safe and watch over us. But then he told me something I I wouldn't have thought of. He said, I also, I prayed, God, take every other thought away from my mind and my heart for these next several hours. And he actually prayed, God, don't let me think about my family or anything else in my life for these next several hours, I need to be focused on this task and what's in front of me and doing this and and not messing up in this thing more than anything. And he prayed that prayer at the beginning of the day. And then at the end of the day, he'd come back and he'd lock those gates and he would say, thank you, Lord, for watching over us today. Thank you for being with us and giving us another safe day at work. And then he'd enter back into, you know, the rest of his life. And I thought, what a good trigger. What a good discipline. What a good practice. And maybe you've got a place like that in your life. Maybe it's your ride to work. Maybe it's your, I don't know what it is. But maybe there's a place in your life that you'd write down. And what's that practices you would put there? What would you put there? Finally, I'd say, have a coach in your life. 
And what I mean by that is just have another Christian that's walking with you, that, that, that'll watch you. You know what a coach does? A coach watches the video, and a coach watches you closely. You know, and if you're working on your swing, they say, well, you're dropping your elbow there. And if you keep your elbow up, you'll get more power. So keep that elbow up, and you're not even noticing you're doing it. And what's that look like in your Christian life? It's someone walking with you saying, you know what? Didn't you say you were giving that to the Lord in prayer? Why are you picking it up and worrying about it again? Why are you anxious about it again? What would it look like for you to give it to the Lord in prayer? Because you'll have more power if you do and walking with you and praying with you. Have another Christian man or another Christian woman who's walking with you and watching you and speaking into your life. That's why I've been trying to encourage that you have spiritual conversations with people. Just grab a cup of coffee with someone and talk about a couple questions. Here's a couple questions from this week's message you could think about. One is this. You might sit down and have a cup of coffee and say, hey, how good are you at practicing worry? You know, how good, where do you practice anxiety? Where do you practice worry? And think about it in your life. <laughs> you say, yeah, I'm, I'm really good at practicing worry. <laughs> I worry about my kids. I worry about money. I worry about... But then the second question, what's one practice you have seen in other Christians you admire that you'd like to start in your life? Because that's what Paul's saying. What you've heard, what you've seen, what you've learned, what you received, put it into practice. What's one practice you've seen that you'd like to start in your life? Start these spiritual conversations, and here's why. Because practice may not make perfect, but godly practices will bring the peace of God to your life. And so, Mount Hope, as we close this series, and you go into this week, and you still are anxious and worried, don't think it's because it didn't work. Don't think it's because you're not, God doesn't care about you. Don't think it's because God's not done with you. Put things into practice in your life. These things take time. Becoming into the image of Christ and becoming more like Christ and being anxious for nothing does not happen overnight, but it will happen that God will come in you and empower you to live that kind of life. Can I pray for you? Lord, God, we come to the close of this series, and I just recognize that there are some that came in, and they, they still want healing. They still want to be touched, and I pray that you will just continue your work in our lives, Lord. Continue to set us free from the prison of anxiety and the prison of worry so that it does not hinder us from doing the work that you would call us to do and living the lives that you've called us to live. Lord, I recognize, God, that ultimately... Everything we do, Lord, we're dependent on your strength. We're dependent on your spirit to sanctify us. And yet I also recognize that you have given us the freedom to choose what to think about, what to do, how to organize our lives, what we're going to practice on a daily basis. Would you help us to choose in a way that is in accordance with the people that you desire and we desire to be that would make us more like Christ?